This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. And welcome back to another episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Peterson. With me, as always, my good friend and the other host of the show, Eric O'Branson. Eric, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, happy that we're finally getting some warmer weather. I mean, we're right in the, the mid-April. You know, it's kind of cooler and rainy and nasty, but at least it's not yeah. snow, so I'll take it. Yeah, our weather here has been crazy. We, 48 hours ago, got a snowstorm that dropped 8 inches of snow on the ground here, and then the following day it warmed up to 65 and melted it immediately, so we've been living in a swamp for the past day or two, so that's fun. Um, But, yeah, in general, we're enjoying the warm-up too, except for that weird freak snowstorm that came out of nowhere, but the we actually got outside the past couple of days. I got my um, bike stroller... Uh, built and set up that I've never used before and got the kids out in that and they the first time we tried it they were both um, my daughter was a little terrified of it and um, didn't go it didn't go well the first time but today we got in it again and we're <laughs> able to you know get out and ride a little bit and uh, they ended up both enjoying it so nice. spent some time outside and it's a really good idea by the way if you haven't ridden uh, like your bike in almost a year to make the first time you ride it dragging around a couple of toddlers in a bike stroll. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's, That's really little, good for you. It's a little different. Um, yeah. And I also, I have to say, I'm quite impressed. You haven't been living in the in the suburbs a month, and you got the bike stroller. That's oh yeah. Well, I we had it the whole time we were living. Oh at, really? <laughs> yeah. Just I never because it takes a little bit of effort to put it all together, and mm-hmm. yeah, I couldn't. Uh, we had nowhere to keep it built, so sure. it, was too, it was too big of a pain in the ass to put it together every time you wanted to use it. That makes sense. That makes sense. But that's cool. Yeah, we had a little bit of the uh, a little bit of a snowstorm last week. Um, I actually, as I was telling you before we record, I had to go down to Southern Illinois to give a talk at our alma mater of Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, which was great. Yes. Kind of revisiting those old those old haunts. But uh, yeah, I left Oshkosh on Thursday morning at 4 a.m. and we had four inches of ice and snow on the ground and I landed in St. Louis and, and got to Carbondale where it was 80 degrees. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And then I got back here and it was fairly warm. So it's, yeah, we're, the, the you can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel and it's getting brighter and it's great. So I'm, I'm really uh, kind of looking forward to getting outside a little bit more myself. But in the meantime, though, um, Really excited to actually get into the the films that we are going to be talking about, you know, for the next couple of shows. Uh, this was actually a this was this was your idea, I think. This the, these two films we're going to be talking about. This se- sequence was uh, was your pitch, um, and uh, before we really introduce the movies, though, we, as usual, we usually give it away. What was it specifically that made you want to visit these two 
Was it the director, or was it the theme, or was it a combination of the two? Well, I think initially we just had talked about doing the first of those two films, and mm-hmm. the, the reason mainly was just that I wanted to revisit it and, and talk about it. It was I remembered liking a lot, that um, like many of the films we do mm-hmm. on the show, I remembered liking it a lot way back when, and um, hadn't seen it in so long and just wanted to revisit it and see if it held up to what I remembered it being. And I think the second film that we're going to talk about was just kind of added as a, what do we pair with this? I think we were talking about it and be like, well, we could pair, you know, same director. Um, We could pair this, his newer film that has a lot in common with it. It's kind of the same kind of, um, you know, action sci-fi genre. And and even more specifically, we'll dig into, but like this kind of vintage sci-fi 2000 AD kind of um, feeling, um, which sure. which runs heavily throughout both of these films. So, right. um, I guess without any further ado, sure, we should uh, talk about what it is we're watching. Yeah. So the uh, the the two movies that we're looking at here are science fiction films from the uh, writer and director Luke Besson. And the first one we're going to be doing is The Fifth Element. Every 5,000 years. Remove the shield. When the three planets are in eclipse, the black hole like a door is open. Evil comes, spreading terror and chaos. There's nothing that can stop this. There is only one thing. Perfect. The Mondachiwan have in their possession the only weapon to defeat evil. Four elements. Gathered around the fifth. Selected for a mission of the utmost importance. What mission? Save the world. <laughs> is, uh, is that thing solid? Unbreakable. Good. Where are the stones? I don't know. And even if I did know, I wouldn't tell somebody like you. There's nowhere else to go. Yes. So this came out one... in, what, like 1997? Yes, 97. All right. And uh, yeah, stars uh, Bruce Willis, Gary Oldman, Mia Jovovich. Uh, just a quick Wikipedia synopsis here. Primarily set in the 23rd century, the film's central plot involves the survival of planet Earth, which becomes the responsibility of Corbin Dallas, played by Bruce Willis, a taxicab driver and former Special Forces major, after a young woman, Mia Jovovich, falls into his cab. To accomplish this, Dallas joins forces with her to recover four mystical stones essential for the defense of Earth against the impeding attack of a malevolent cosmic entity. 
Oh, uh, yeah. This, um... So I remember seeing this one in theaters. I think I was in Florida for, uh, like, almost a month visiting my mom one that summer. And uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, a guy we went to high school with, Jason Lover, or Bubba, uh, mm-hmm. with me. And this is what we did a lot. We went to a lot of movies. Because uh, after a few weeks of being in Florida, it was like, okay, well, we can't go to the beach every day. So we went to movies <laughs> right. a lot. And... Um, yeah, this was was one that we went and saw. I remember there was a lot of hype about it. And a full disclosure, we walked out of the theater. Bubba really liked it, and I did not. This movie really didn't do anything for me when I saw it back in '97. Hmm. Uh, what were what was your initial thought of it back um, then? You know, I didn't see it until probably a few years after it initially had come out. But I remember the hype and everybody. It's one of those that like everyone was talking about, like got to see the fifth element you got to see the fifth element and like i often am nowadays with films i was like okay yeah i'll get to that one i'll see it and um eventually i did i think around the time i got my job at the video store actually is when i first saw it and i was pretty blown away by it um so in my opinion it lived up to all of the hype that it Mm -hmm. was given so um i liked pretty much everything about it and at the time, like at the age I was, I, I don't think I could have put my finger on what it was I liked about it, um, which I, I think I can now, but um, I, I remember liking it. It was just fun and funny and um, exciting and just different. It was quirky, and um, I think the it, I noticed even back then that The Fifth Element's an incredibly polarizing movie, mm-hmm. and that is, I like that you described that you, you and Bubba having those reactions, uh, because that's kind of what this movie... I think in general is like for people like people either really like this movie or they just don't like it at all. And I, I don't want to say they just don't get it. Cause I feel like that's kind of condescending to people when you say that, yeah. but, um, but it's just, there's something about it that, that isn't for them. And maybe it's the fact that it is kind of, you know, quirky and comic and strange and, you know, as well as action and sci-fi and I don't know. It's, it's, it's one that I liked a lot. And, um, honestly, my opinion on it hasn't changed a lot, but I have, I am able to kind of, latch on to some of the stuff I think I like about it or identify a little bit better than I was when I was a kid. But So I think what... what and I'm reluctant to actually say it turned me off because I didn't walk out of it being like, that sucked. I just walked out of the theater. I, I distinctly remember saying, oh, okay. You know, like it just... Nothing... It didn't really... It was pretty forgettable to me at the time. Uh, and, and I wonder if a big part of that is... It, to me, felt like, okay, well, I like, this is me in 1997, you know, as a, like a high school freshman or something. It's like, I like science fiction. I like Star Wars. This isn't Star Wars, so it sucks. Or it's not, it's not <laughs> what I was hoping it would be. And, you know, I like to think, oh, since then I've expanded my science fiction appreciation even more. <laughs> right. um, and now I'm like, Star Wars is science fantasy. It's not really the same. And, um, I don't know, I, I at the time, I found the plot to be kind of sprawling and a little hard to follow uh and it, uh you know th- this, if i was I, to make some gripes about it even to this day it's that i feel like that it just wasn't given ample amount of screen time to properly develop its plot like i i feel like that is one of the things that i would pick mm-hmm. out about it being it not that it's hard to follow but just that maybe pieces of it are a little a little undercooked yeah and i would still maintain that and and i should also point out that this isn't the only science fiction movie of this time period of, of the late 90s mid to late 90s that had a huge following and that i just didn't get into um stargate being another one 
and there's some parallels here with that. Um, I remember everybody loving Stargate, and I just couldn't see what was so great about it. And that's one that maybe we should revisit sometime, because I'm happy to say, after rewatching The Fifth Element, I, I actually enjoyed it a lot more. It's not going to say it's one of my favorites, but I enjoyed it <laughs> considerably more um, reviewing it for this show than I did when I first saw it. Um, yeah. I think, and I think a part of that is a little bit of my own attitude changing of it, but I think this one actually has held up pretty well over the years. I, I think so too. And I, um, I think a lot of the reason it held up so well and um, it's just because like Star Wars, it has some really great practical special effects. <laughs> like I it think really does. I think that is a key to it and I know it's something I bring up about movies all the time is it's not overly CGI heavy. This was an era where that was starting to be more and more common. Yeah, yeah we've talked so about yeah, seven we... we would have seen a lot of movies coming out that did utilize, you know, it not mostly CGI effects yet, but um definitely starting to see the era where that was, you know, preferred to practicals. And I, I, I assume it was a conscious effort um, on the filmmaker's part, on, on Luc Besson's part, and, and the special effects team that um, they weren't going to do that for this film, or, or like as much as possible. It's not that it doesn't have CGI, it certainly does. Mm-hmm. But And um, I'm happy to say that actually some of the CGI for 1997 doesn't look bad either. No, I actually there are almost no pieces in this movie I know we were talking about when we talked about Event Horizon, and I think even mm-hmm. a little bit on our Ichi the Killer show last week, we were talking about the way CGI ages and some of it just looking horrendously bad or even comic because it's so bad. Um, there were no moments in this movie that I noticed. I mean, not that I can't say, well, okay, that's CGI, that's practical. It, it's fairly easy to tell the difference, but there's nothing that took you out of the movie that it was so bad that, you know, you were taken out of the film. Or uh, I, I had a vague memory. I mean, I had memories of parts of this movie like i said it was pretty forgettable so i didn't remember a lot about it i remembered the general plot and a couple of scenes um and there was one scene when i was watching it this time that i was kind of gearing up for like how how good is that going to look and that's when they're rebuilding Lilu, when they're rebuilding mia jovovich and resurrecting mm-hmm. her i remember yep. that being a cgi scene um and I was kind of like, okay, I remember it looking pretty good. I wonder if it still does. And it, that actually doesn't look bad. Um, the That whole sequence is really quite well done. And something I'll... Mm-hmm. I'll I, I, I'm not a big fan of Mia Jovovich. I, I can't say I've liked her in much. Um, nothing against her as like a person. I just don't like the role she's in. I don't like how mm-hmm. she's utilized in movies. She's just not not an actress that appeals to me. However, um, she was she's better in this than I remember her being. It, yeah, really, like, I, I everything in this is better than this I remember movie. it being. And I know? think I've cut her a lot of breaks in future roles because I like her so much in this movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I remember there being a major, and I'm sure this was what went to onto her eventual stardom and, and you know getting starring roles in a lot of um, action fil- action horror and action sci fi films going forward. It's kind of primarily what she's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I remember like pretty much every teenage guy in the, at one point was, you know, totally obsessed with this character, at least. I, I don't know if it's her personally or this character, um, for a short period of time around when this came out. I can't say I ever had that fixation with her, but I really like her character in this movie. I find her very likable and I find her performance very, 
um, yes. compelling. So yeah, I thought the um, performance. Were, I, I wonder how much of the infatuation people have with her is the fact that she's wearing like you know red duct tape for most of the movie, and there's a few, right a few scenes of nudity, and you know for 1997 prepubescent boys, that was like yeah. that's enough. I'm good. I'm sold. Well, also a PG-13 film, so if you right, were you know living right. in a household like my, although by the time this came out, I was over that era of my life, right. but. No, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think she's actually pretty good in this. Bruce Willis, we- we've covered Bruce Willis's kind of undersung movies before with things like Hudson Hawk, um, <laughs> right? And and he, there's some uh, something reminiscent about this. This is this has some campy moments and some campy gags oh, yeah, in it for sure. Um, it's it's good camp. I think I think it's always it always is used well. It's funny. Um, we can talk a little bit about Chris Tucker. He's a, seems yeah. to be a polarizing element of this movie. Um, but I think the thing that I love so much about this movie, besides we talked about the good practical effects, is that it mm-hmm. doesn't feel super 90s to me. I think you mentioned it feeling a little 90s. It, to me, it seems like it's a something that's a little more throwback about it. Like, it's it's kind of a vintage sci-fi movie. It, it, it's got it, something it, like yes. uh, 70s-ish about it. So it fits more in with, like, Star Wars, but maybe not Star Wars, because it's a little, like, grittier than that. So something that, like, I don't know if you're familiar with, well, yeah, I mean, probably the animated film, but, like, Heavy Metal Magazine yep. or um, 2000 AD in the UK, which obviously spawned, you know, popular characters like Judge Dredd and um, I think... I don't think actually no. I, I was going to say Valerian was, but I don't think I think they, he was contemporary with two thousand eight or two thousand AD, but was actually a French comic book. But we'll get to that this, next show. But, yeah, um, and this reminds me of there was you know, bring up these older kind of science fiction comics and animated films, uh, Rock and Rule. Oh yeah, which yeah. the one everybody forgets about because they talk about heavy metal. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, and there's a, and there's wizards, a, a but, large camp of people that prefer rock and roll to heavy metal which i i've not ever seen rock and roll i should but um yeah. oh we have to add that to the list yeah it's <laughs> yeah. it's it, like rock and like rock and uh like heavy metal you know the same kind of musical thing but um mm-hmm. this i i think gary oldman's performance and this is one that i remember liking back then it was one of the few things i liked and i still like it though i was really i don't know i was gonna say really surprised but i guess the more i think about it i'm really not um <laughs> Gary Oldman actually, they've asked a, a number of the, the the cast of this, you know, now looking back years later, what they uh, what they think of this movie. And, and Chris Tucker talks about having a lot of fun with it, as is very apparent he's having a lot of fun with his role. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell Bruce Willis is having fun with it, Mia Jovich. I guess uh, Gary Oldman did not care for this movie at all. <laughs> no? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, he's... Yeah. Gary Oldman is just so, he has the ability, which we talked about before, just to kind of transform himself into yeah. characters. And this is no exception. Like, he's he's fantastic in this, but the character is certainly quirky and, and very odd. Well, I um, think it's a testament of, of how good of an actor he is when he can be in a movie that he's actually miserable making. I'm putting those words in his mouth, but he's not enjoying, yeah. you know, he's not doing this movie because he really wants to. Uh, and he still turns out a really, really, really good performance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I guess in 2004, he was asked about it and uh, if he liked the film. And he said, no, I can't bear it. Um, and and went on to say that essentially Bassan had partially financed his film Nil by Mouth. So he claims he was singing for his supper just okay. to be in this movie. Yeah. But but he plays this really I mean, cool he bad guy. He didn't phone it in, obviously. I mean, he no. did, he, I think he's excellent in the movie. It just it 
it's it's an interesting character. <laughs> and, well, and you brought up Chris Tucker being being polarizing as well. And I I remember when I first saw this movie, I really didn't care for his character. I thought it was just loud, obnoxious, and boisterous. But at the same time, I don't I mean, think I got Chris it. Tucker's character in this movie is definitely the Jar Jar Binks of the Fifth Element, right? I mean, that's kind of where we. Or at least um, that's the perception of people. Yeah, I think it's the perception. Character. Like, they, but yeah, I know that there's been people that have claimed that he ruined the movie. But honestly, I don't think I and I, not to do the whole. I just didn't. You didn't get it. Pretentious thing you were talking about. But yeah. um, I think that was my problem personally. Is that I don't think I really got what that character was supposed to be. Like, yeah, it's, I think yeah, I agree with that assessment. You know, when I was younger, when I was younger, I found it very annoying, and I thought it was very out of place. Uh, this time around, I actually found some of it funny, which is kind of the some of the opposite from '90s you know, movies yeah. and other cases. But <laughs> in this case, I feel like it was yeah. Uh, no, I, I do I, feel like it fit because this movie is just chock full of like, um, kind of critique of you know modern quote unquote modern society. So '90s, um, I don't, like like. A lot of good sci-fi does this, but, like, takes little things and then um, kind of shows them blown to a, a proportion in the future, like, trends that would have grown. Um, I, if you, I guess a good um, example of what I'm talking about would be Mike Judge's film, Idiocracy. There are actually some... Um, yes. Some similarities between this the future that the fifth element takes place in and um, Idiocracy. Or, or the there's a Judge Dredd series about... Um, it's actually about it's called the scorched earth and it's a long series about them doing a road trip essentially across the the middle part of the united states that it's totally destroyed at the point uh in Mm. history but they come to a place where um all of the fast food companies are have grown into like these uh conglomerates that are actually warring with one another and it's a really um, interesting critique hmm. of our society, uh, a fast food obsession of the 80s when it was written. And, um, yeah, just quirky, funny, weird sci-fi. So that's the kind of stuff that this movie reminds me of. And I think that's really why I, I like it so much. And, and like I said, when I saw it in 1997, I wasn't aware of any of this stuff. I hadn't read any of it yet. Um, mm-hmm. I, so I couldn't have really put my finger on what it was that I liked so much about it. But it that's definitely it is that it's got that kind of like vintage 70s sci-fi vibe um the cast is good it's funny it's um anyway yeah yeah and and even even the the kind of more supporting cast is is really quite good ian holm is very good in it for like the five minutes that you know luke perry is in it he's really good you know (laughs) which i sad to say the late great luke perry yeah yeah. Um, this is one of his more memorable performances for me because i don't know much that i saw him in on you know uh was not a 90210 fan so um buffy the vampire slayer the movie right yep i remember him from that i remember him from this movie Mm -hmm. and i remember him from the rodeo movie the eight seconds and that's about all i can think of but anyway yeah yeah, that was Rest in peace, good, Luke yeah. Perry. Right. <laughs> yeah, but no, and I think, um, yeah, just well, and actually, the the fact that uh, that that tiny tiny Lister, tiny Zeus, right, plays the president in this, <laughs> right, was yeah. just cool. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, overall, I think that was. There's little things about Luke Besson's decisions that I think are kind of like oddly genius like he's got this quirky kind of genius about him and that that's one like casting you know tiny lister as the president in this um 
movie was great casting, especially because of the kind of ineffectual. Um, it it kind of looked much like you know what if what if a pro wrestler or somebody was the president, which again is something that reminded me of Idiocracy in this movie. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Anyway, well, and, and, don't remember and, where I was and, going. Uh, and, and Brian James as as General Monroe in this, which mm-hmm. uh, you know he's kind of a character actor, but most people probably recognize him from Blade Runner. Yeah, um, yep. uh, as Leon Kowalski in Blade Runner. Uh, but yeah, he's it, again. I, I don't want to. I'm not going to sit back here and be like, I don't know what I was thinking back then. Because no, I probably didn't like this back then. I mean, I keep in mind I saw this the same summer that I saw like you know Batman and Robin. And I think Face <laughs> wow, okay. Off and Con Air, you know, it was. Oh man, that back, was a summer of like trash classics, man. Like that's yeah. Like... <laughs> we still need to do your Nick Cage series, but yeah, yeah. This this one kind of, I think it just kind of fell in with all of a bunch of other underwhelming, overhyped action movies. Uh, and and I think it does have its place there. There are aspects you can see about it, but it. Uh, I'm not sure yet if it's going to make it into my collection. I mean, I watched this on, I think, Netflix. I think it's on Netflix right now. And I don't know if I'm going to go out and buy it, but I'm leaning towards it more than I think I ever did before. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think this one actually is... Um, I, 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 I surprised myself with, with, I guess, maybe more my how receptive i was being to it but yeah it's pretty good and actually i was really taken back i know i've said this before that that um mia jovich's performance especially in the scene when she first wakes up and she's just speaking the language and there's this fear on her face when she's in this bubble yeah um or in that this this glass tube thing it really quite good the opera scene yeah, the opera scene. It's one of the ones I pointed out as a favorite when I was watching it, and I remember being a favorite from way back. But yeah, the montage between the yeah, yeah. it's it's really quite good. And there, this those are the scenes where I can I can see the style of Luc Besson, you know, from the movies that I really fell in love with him as a director, especially um, you know, The Professional, Leon yeah. the Professional, and Nikita. Um, you can start to see some of that that emotion and that style in especially how he puts those montages together so yeah yeah this that one... back and forth montage between the opera performance and her and lilu fighting off of you know ba- mm-hmm. basically a band of people trying to kidnap her uh um, yeah, all the mangalores and yeah yeah is is incredibly well cut it's a great montage of you know two location montage um there's some really really great f- funny like seriously funny situational humor stuff uh the bit when in his like bruce willis's tiny little apartment Mm -hmm. um where all the groups of people keep showing up and he keeps hiding them in these little things it's just like right out of like three's company or something with like the situational crap (laughs) and it's like genuine genuinely funny like sitcom funny almost um well the tweaker that tries to rob him at the beginning yeah, yeah. You know, where he's wearing this hat that's got a picture of the hallway on it, so when he looks out his peephole, he sees that and thinks there's nobody there. I mean, just some really weird... And, and those are nice little touches that kind of, you know, you're, you've been dropped into this world. And mm-hmm. it's those those bits of exposition that just kind of introduce you to what you're, what you're seeing. Um, the cigarettes in it, I thought, were cool. You know, yeah. they're... It's mostly filter with a tiny little bit of, of rolled tobacco at the end. 
those kind of futuristic touches. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the weird really little cool. futuristic things that kind of predicted the things that we're doing now, like... I feel like the the super filter on the cigarettes kind of predicted, you know, vaping and mm-hmm. e-cigarettes. And then um, there's a, a robotic vacuum that was kind of, I felt played to be kind of silly. It was like bumping into things and stuff, which is, it was 100% a Roomba. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Well, the, um, the entire scene where, um, where Zorg, Gary Oldman's character, mm-hmm. is, uh, is talking to to Cornelius Ian Holmes' character about why he would cause chaos, and he it's this little speech he gives where he drops a glass and it shatters. He goes, "I've destroyed something," and then here come the Roombas, and they clean mm-hmm. it up. And he's like, "So I've I destroyed something, but look at how much life has come to clean it up. So when I destroy a little something, that puts." food on people's tables and it puts people to work and so in many ways with your what you do with spirituality and what I do it's very similar and then he starts choking on a cherry immediately <laughs> and it's it's a great scene and Ian Holmes like where's the robot to pat you on the back right and save yeah. your life it's it's really um, a very well crafted scene where it, it starts out your your, your typical you know your typical super villain monologue, mm-hmm. and it just totally with in the blink of an eye just totally backfires on. Him. Yeah, and I um, think that it, that's what's great about Zord throughout this movie is he he has his moments of being like he tends to pontificate like he's you know this great super villain, and then he always ends up doing something stupid or tripping or choking or yeah um, yeah. So I I mean kind of like I would probably do in his position, but. Um, I really, really dislike. It, it, I love. I love most things about this movie, but I really, really dislike that his character was just kind of written off screen so quickly. And mm-hmm. it wasn't that he was inconsequential. Obviously, he pushed the events forward um, early in the film, and in his character was very important. But the, the way he was just like, oh, blown up, gone. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of disappointing because he never really came face to face with the main characters of this film or the heroes of this film. Um, which made him not really a great big bad, you know, big yeah. uh, main bad guy. So, and then uh, you never really get into the the real big bad, right? That Mister Shadow. You never really right. get into that either. It's I, I yeah. know there was so there the was ending... some chatter about a sequel, but it never yeah. was really planned. Yeah, and I don't think it, this movie really needed a sequel. It just needed like a little bit more development here and there. And I would have loved to see just like maybe even one scene where, you know, um, they, you know, the, the the heroes of our film and the villains actually come face to face and have to deal with one another. Um, just never, it never really gets to that point. And I feel like the ending, the last act is a little bit muddled. Feels a little bit rushed. I don't know if that's. Mm-hmm you know what that's due to whether you never know i don't think there's like a director's cut or a different cut of this film but you never know what was left behind uh either from the script or from what was shot to create the final cut and i don't know overall it's still very fun and um it's very unique like i was sitting there watching it and thinking um we're not gonna see sci-fi movies like this anymore i don't think like there's something just very I keep saying vintage over and over again, but there's something very like 
wholesome about it almost like mm-hmm. it's sci-fi like i remember sci-fi being when i was growing up like the 80s and you know probably the, the late 70s as well um i if we just don't we just don't get movies like this anymore and practical effects has a lot to do with it but i also think like everything is just has to be so over the top and you know video game-esque cgi and on and on you just don't get much really thought-provoking science fiction at least in out of hollywood on the big screen there's certainly uh, some stuff out there but uh, i yeah you know what actually um the marvel movie the guardians of the galaxy movie i think had some hit some of the same notes as something like the fifth element and that's why i enjoyed that so much yeah and i think um i think revisiting this movie now like you just said is is maybe having a big big impact on that because right now i hear and i've said it myself one of the big complaints about modern films that come out is everything is based on comic books which is fine but they're all based on you have some source material to go to Mm -hmm. and and compare and contrast and even with the new star wars films coming out it's okay well how do we keep this legacy going and you've got this rabid fan base which as we were talking about before we were recording tonight they just are not ever satisfied by anything right um, and never will be and so. never will be so uh, you know like game of thrones just started up again on hbo and there's already people like complaining ah, i didn't like what they did here so fans have you know when you have a fandom about a a series or a franchise or a property that where there's multiple entries of course the fans start to get this entitled attitude right as has mm-hmm. been brought up in, in many blogs and interviews and discussions lately and what are we all claiming we want we want something original we want something new something that's completely new it's not based on a comic it's not based on a book it's not a remake it's not based on a tv show or a, a game or something it's something just new and maybe this is the movie that we needed we need today even though it was made back in 97 yeah because it's pretty original it's got some like you said it's got some throwbacks to things that kind of give it a a 70s version of the future feel but in the 90s it has a 90s polish to it but it, it is it's pretty original and i know there was some legal disputes about him borrowing some concepts from comic books and things which borrow concepts fine you know in 1977 so we all loved about people loved about star wars that it borrowed right. from kurosawa films and and the you know buck rogers and flash gordon stuff but this is uh yeah this one i think these i'd love to see more things like this today yeah same here um and i was actually hoping that Although I, I, we'll get into it next week, I was hoping that you know the next film we're going to watch by Luc Besson that we that we would kind of get some of those things, and we did. It wasn't totally absent, but uh, for better or worse, there was just not as well mm-hmm. um, sewn together. But so, well, if you had to give this one a grade, what do you think? Um, it's not perfect. It has a few flaws, like I said. I, in this, I say this so much about movies, and this is the hardest thing I think from a screenwriting standpoint, or even from a filmmaking standpoint, is third acts are tough. So if I if I say that you know you'll hear me say third act problems a lot as a criticism, it's not too harsh of a criticism. Sometimes I still you know perfectly enjoy a movie. However, this is not probably an A plus. It's uh, but it is something I like a lot and liked a lot on you know my first viewing and, and and have enjoyed just as much subsequently if not more because i just appreciate this as kind of a 
a gem of a lost type of movie that I kind of crave. Um, I wish we could see a little more of, but anyway, long story short, I, th I would give this one a B solid B it's, it's enjoyable. It's just, it's well-made. Um, yeah, I don't know. You can't ask for a whole lot more out of a sci-fi action, <laughs> sci-fi action comedy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I would probably do the same. I think I would also give this one a, a B and, while I, I agree with the, the criticisms and I could probably pick out more, um, I, I think that, I don't know, I'm always, I'm, I'm going to give it a, I think I'm being more generous than I probably would because I have a, a little, to, to sound dramatic, a little personal journey with this one where I really didn't <laughs> care for it or think much of it when I first saw it. But um, over time, and I don't want to say over time and repeated viewings because I don't think I've watched it more than once since then, maybe because mm -hmm. it was just on in the background. But, um, yeah, I, I actually really kind of enjoyed it this time. And I think maybe it just took, you know, 20 years <laughs> for me to appreciate <laughs> it. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe, I need to give, uh, maybe I need to give Stargate another watch, too. I feel like this one was also very influential of a couple, you know, of the, the next couple years of sci-fi films. And, and it was a high-water mark, uh, mm -hmm. which, which is weird because it's, it's, it's a little bit hit and miss, hit and miss itself. But... I've often found myself wondering while rewatching The Fifth Element if maybe George Lucas got a little bit of inspiration from this for the style, kind of different style oh, yeah. that he went for with his prequel films. I don't know. I mean, George lives in a bubble. Maybe I'm not sure he gets influenced by other contemporaries, but you know, you never know. Um, yeah, I could see the, some of that. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a, a style shift, obviously, in the prequel films. Um, not to dive into Star Wars territory, but... Of course, I wonder how much of that's just 90s. Yeah, I mean, that very well could be. It's also experimental with... Um, I mean, George Lucas really pushed the CGI envelope mm -hmm. with uh, those films, so... Yeah, um, I wonder how much of it's just technology at the time, cameras and way things were commonly lit at the time. You know, I... I but, yeah, maybe it, maybe there's some inspiration there, too. I can, I can see some, some parallels, especially, especially in, like, Attack of the Clones. Yeah, in the beginning yeah, yeah. of that, there's there's a lot of similarities, but, uh, um, but anyways, and yeah, also so, there is yeah. there is a moment, and it just just um, mm -hmm. in this movie that is definitely a like best of Bruce Willis type moment. If you wanted to give his like greatest hits, and that is the uh, anyone else want to negotiate line in there? Oh um, yeah, which is just like classic. I mean, that's right up there with you know uh, Yippie Kaye motherfucker and yep. um, <laughs> like, you know other great yeah, Bruce come Willis out to the lines, coast so. we'll have some laughs yeah it's up there with that <laughs> right so yeah that anyway, was good yeah, that's... yeah I, I I think yeah he was he was really quite good in this I, I think I needed to see this too after we watched Hudson Hawk a couple months ago uh, <laughs> yeah I needed yeah. to I need to remember that oh yeah Bruce Willis actually could be pretty good yeah, I, I was the weirdo that kind of liked Hudson Hawk. So anyway, it's like, wow. <laughs> although not as much as this. But. So, what are your thoughts on Fifth Element? Go feel free to drop us a line. Uh, you can send us an email at videojunkyardpodcast at gmail .com. Find us on Facebook at Video Junkyard Podcast. Download episodes at SoundCloud, where you're probably listening to it now, at Video Junkyard Podcast, or send us a tweet at Video Junk Pod. Um, what are your memories of this one? Is, is this one that was one of your favorites? Were, were you one of the polarized people in this? Uh, were you like me or were you like Eric <laughs> when you first saw this back in the 90s? Um, yeah, feel free to drop us a line and give us a comment. If you write it, we'll read it. 
Uh, and then next week we're going to be continuing our discussion on Luc Besson's science fiction films, uh, which kind of limits what we'll probably be talking about, right? <laughs> right. So yeah, next week we'll be uh, giving a look at a giving. Blah. Next week we'll be checking out Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which is a more recent Luc Besson sci-fi film. So make sure and uh, tune in next week and find out what we thought of that one. That's right. So until next time, I want to thank everybody for listening. This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. And I'm Eric Branson. Have a good evening. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast on Twitter at video junk pod and on Instagram as video junkyard podcast all one word want to thank you again for listening and keep digging who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard. <laughs>